So Acts chapter 27, let's start there in verse 13. Acts 27 and verse 13. And when the south wind blew softly, supposing they had obtained their purpose, loosing thence, they sailed close by the island of Crete, verse 14. But not long after, there arose against it, against the ship, a tempestuous wind called Euroclidon. Now jump down to verse 18. And we being exceedingly tossed with a tempest, the next day they lightened the ship. They threw stuff off the ship. And the third day we cast out with our own hands the tackling of the ship. These guys are absolutely desperate. Look at verse 20. And when, they, when neither sun nor stars in many days appeared, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope that we should be saved was taken away. Now, uh, we live in Ireland, and <clears throat> they, RT and that office has escalated, so now every, every uh, rain cloud has a name to it now, and every bit of storm is categorized. There are different kinds of storms. There's rainstorms and there's windstorms, and then there are rain and windstorms. But they're usually just inconvenient. They just get us wet. But then there are real storms, serious storms, deadly storms, storms that up tr uproot trees, and they cause roofs to fly off and, and, and uh, construction cranes to topple. Storms that bring death and destruction across entire counties and countries. Well, the Apostle Paul is heading into a real storm. He's gone through several storms. As a matter of fact, he says he's been through three of them, three shipwrecks. Night and the day, he was floating in, in, in the ocean there, just holding on to a board uh, for over 24 hours. He's gone through several storms in his life, but this one is going to bring him with almost 280 other men to the brink of death. I wonder, is there a reason? Is there a reason that Paul is going through this storm? Is there a reason why we go through storms? Why, why do disasters happen? I wonder if God's trying to teach us some things, all right? I think this is one of the richest chapters in, in, um, in Acts. It just is so full of truth. I'm going to just summarize some of the things I think. Next time you read Acts, you'll, like I do, I can't wait to get to this chapter. I love this chapter. Not because of the storm, but because of what God is going to show us this morning. So let's go back to verse 1, chapter 27, verse 1. And I'll read down to verse 8. And when it was determined that we... I want you to put in your mind, always the term we means more than one. It's not just Paul. It's Paul and Luke, because Luke is with them all the time. When it was determined that we should sail into, uh, unto Italy, they delivered Paul and certain other prisoners unto one named Julius, a centurion of Augustus's band. And entering into a ship of Adramithium, we launched, meaning to sail by the coast of Asia, Ah, uh, one Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica, being with us. Somebody was staying by Paul, was going with him. Verse 3, and the next day we touched at Sidon. So when it says touched, it's the boat going along, and they, they just came along and maybe docked for just a little bit at a city called Sidon. And Julius courteously entreated Paul. He was very kind to Paul and gave him liberty to go unto his friends to refresh himself. And when we had launched from thence, we sailed under Cyprus, because the winds were contrary. Now, when it says they sailed under, it means they went south of the island because the winds were blowing heavily from the north. 
against them. They're trying to go west, and the winds are blowing them back. So they tried to let the island sort of protect them from the winds. Verse 5, and when we had sailed over <coughs> the Sea of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra, a city of Lycia. And there the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing into Italy, and he put us therein. And when we had sailed slowly many days, and scarce were come over against Nidus, the wind not suffering, not allowing us, we sailed under Crete over against Salmone, and hardly passing it, came to a place which is called the Fair Havens, nigh whereunto was the city of Lycia. So he's heading for Rome, and Paul is a prisoner, and he's on a ship filled with criminals. He's in chains. He's been falsely accused, as we watched him for the past several chapters. He's been falsely accused by the Jews of so many crimes that he has to appeal to the high court of that day, which was before Caesar himself. He's never broken any law. He's never hurt anyone except their feelings. You'll always hurt somebody's feelings, no matter what you do. And Paul's guilty of upsetting some people. Now, he had the time of his life up until this moment, even in chains, he's full of joy, and he stood before Festus and then Felix and then King Agrippa, and each time given his testimony and had them shaking in their boots. They were trembling in fear at Paul's preaching. And they would get so close to getting saved. Even Agrippa says, you almost convinced me to become a Christian, and then they would walk away. <clears throat> but Paul was a happy man. Um, <clears throat> so in this chapter, Paul is loaded onto a ship heading towards Italy, toward the center of the world in that day. It was a 1,300-mile trip. It's very simple. On a map, you're coming from, from Caesarea in Jerusalem. He's in Caesarea. They're, they're, they're supposed to just, um, one of these days if it comes up, come back. Uh, just supposed to, they're supposed to take this leisurely trip through the Mediterranean, like we all wish we could, and just head on up to Rome. It was a 1,300-mile trip. Take a week, maybe two at the most. Depends on how many stops they make. That's the plan, okay? <clears throat> how many ever made a plan and it went to pot? I mean, wow. So, Paul has got some faithful friends. He's got Luke. Luke is like a bad penny. He just will not go away. Luke has stayed with Paul since Acts chapter 16. He loves Paul. Paul, at the end of his life, when he's in jail, in prison, in Rome, he says, everybody's abandoned me, but Luke is with me. That's a good friend. But he doesn't just have one friend. He's got a guy named Aristarchus. We read about him. He's a guy from Macedonia. Remember when Paul and Silas and several other guys had that call to go to Macedonia and meet the Macedonian man. Well, they got saved, and one of them stayed with him. Aristarchus is with Paul. Great friends. Um, he's given a bit of liberty. Now, that's unusual for a, a, a person that's, that's being tried to be allowed to go and visit friends. That's kind of trust, wouldn't you agree? Here it goes, all right, let the prisoner out. He'll be back. I mean, that's not normal, do you? Do you just, not without an ankle bracelet that has a GPS on it. They let him go because they trusted Paul. I wonder if Christians have that kind of character anymore where people, if they, if, if they could trust you that far, gave him a bit of liberty. But up came a couple of uh, difficulties, contrary winds. Contrary means they're sailing this way and the wind's blowing them back that way. 
they're slow sailing. I mean, they've only got so many supplies on the ship, so they've got to get somewhere before the supplies run out, the water runs out, so on and so forth. And that wind is not working with them. So they stop at a little shipping port called the Fair Havens. In verse 9, pick up there in verse 9, Paul gives a warning. Now, when much time was spent and when sailing was now dangerous... Because the fast was now already passed, Paul admonished them. Before we go any further, I want you to understand, uh, uh, this, is, this is the beginning of October. When it talks about the fast, it's talking about the Day of Atonement when the Jews fasted. And Paul's got his schedule, not by Roman dates, but by uh, Old Testament dates and, and the events um, as a Jew. And that fast is now passed in September, so... Here they are in October, and during October is when you have storms in the Mediterranean. Verse 10, and he said unto them, he's admonishing them. Hear that word. What does admonish mean? It means he's warning. If you admonish somebody, it's not always encouraging. Sometimes to admonish somebody is to say, don't do that. You'll get hurt. Verse 10, he said unto them, sirs, I perceive that this voyage will be with hurt and much damage. Not only of the lading, that's the cargo, and the ship, but also of our own lives. We could die. Verse 11, nevertheless, <laughs> the centurion believed the master and the owner of the ship much more than those things which were spoken by Paul. Because the haven was not commodious to winter in, they had a huge boat, and this is a small part, small port. The more part advised to depart thence also, if by any means they might attend to, uh, attain to a city um, in, in Crete called Phoenice, and that they were there spend the winter, which is a, ha a haven of Crete. It's a very protected uh, place from the storms and lieth toward the southwest and the northwest. So Paul gives this warning and he admonishes them, don't go, let's stay right here. And who would you trust? If you're the centurion, you've got 200 and he's got 275 criminals. Paul's one of them. And he's got these guys, they've got to get to Rome. And you've got this preacher, and you've got the owner of the ship. Which one's going to have more wisdom about the weather and sailing? You're going to trust the captain of the boat. So the captain says, we sail. So that's what they did. Um, but the crew, um, man, they're all, they're all for it until verse 13. When the south wind blew softly, oh boy, just, you know, when the day is good and you can tell the wind is on your side, oh, the wind is blowing softly, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, loosing fence, they sailed close by Crete. So they're close by the shore, but not long after these, there, there arose against it a tempestuous wind called Euroclidon. In other words, a hurricane. This... Uh, is, is, it's at, in those days, it was called Euroclidon, which means a cyclical wind from the east that just, it was, a, it was a low pressure system that sucked in hot air from the Sahara and cold air from a polar, nor, uh, uh, polar vortex and just made a storm in the middle of the uh, uh, Mediterranean Sea. This thing happens about once every five to ten years in the Mediterranean. We never hear about it. Need and I were uh, on... Uh, Crete with Mona. It was Mona's fault. I don't know. Where are we on Crete? That was the island. Oh, what was the name of the island we were on? Corfu. We're on Corfu. We never turn on the TV. It's all in foreign language. Anyway, I turn on the TV 
because they had the threat of rain. I said, it never rains. So I turned it on, and this guy's announcing, and he shows that picture. He says, there is a storm. Uh, I'm just translating for him. I don't know. But he's talking about this massive thousand-mile hurricane over the Mediterranean. You never hear stuff like that, yet they happen every five to ten years. So Euroclidon's a real instance, and it is a hurricane. In verse 15, we read, uh, yes, verse 15, and when the ship was caught by the wind and the waves and could not bear up into the wind, we let her drive. <laughs> uh, you ever gone into a, a skid? What do they tell you? Let go of the wheel, right? <laughs> but that's what they had to do. The helm, no matter how they turned it, the helm wasn't turning the, the keel, and they couldn't hoist the sail. The sail would have snapped that mast in, in half right there. They just have to go with the wind. It's just turning them and twisting them and rocking them, and it's a ship out of control. They're at the mercy of this storm. They had no motors. They had no oars. They're just sitting there on the sides, heaving up breakfast from three days ago, and they're holding on as that storm began to toss that ship around. You ever been in a situation like that? Think about for a minute how practical this storm is. You ever wonder, why did God allow Paul to go through that storm so we could relate to it? So that we can say Christians are not protected from the storm, we're protected through it. You ever had that time where you felt like the world was falling apart around you and you were falling apart with it? Where the struggle never ended? This storm is going to last like it seems like forever. The stress. You ever been in a storm where the stress just kept pounding and pounding like wave after wave against you? And there was nothing you could do but just ride it out? That's a storm. Now what's funny, look at verse 16. Running under a certain island which is called Clauda, we had much work to come by the boat. Now this is unique. These guys begin to work themselves to death. Why? Well, they're worried about a little boat that's dragging behind them. <laughs> they've got 280 people on the ship, and they've got a little dinghy. We call it a dinghy, but it was a skiff. It's a lifeboat that they carried along behind it, and the lifeboat handled maybe 20 to 30 men. And they're trying to save that boat because they know they're in danger. And they begin to work, and they begin, they, it says they had much labor to, to take in the boat, look at verse 17, which when they had taken up, they used helps undergirding the ship. So pity the guy who had to jump out of the boat with a rope around him. He would swim under, talking about the main ship, swim under the dinghy, and then would come up on the other side, pass the rope up, and they would wrap several, boat, wrap, wrap several ropes around the boat so they could bring it up. You know how hard that is? Number one for just an empty boat, but another one that's full of water. This storm, this storm has made, first of all, the main ship's rocking. The little boat is smashing against it back and forth. And there's some guy in the water going underneath it back and forth, risking his life. And they try to heave that thing up. They're trying to save what they hope will save them. They're working themselves to death. <clears throat> um. They're trying to steer the ship. Look there in verse 17. Let me read it again. When they had taken up, <clears throat> they finally get it up onto the main deck there, probably on the poop deck, by the way. They used helps undergirding the ship and fearing lest they should fall into the quicksands. They strake sail and, were, and so were driven. 
So they pull that boat in, and then they try to use the sails to guide them to get somewhere away from any kind of shore. Verse 19, in the third day, we cast out with our own hands the tackling of the ship. So this has only gone on three days. This is just the beginning. Three days, and the tackling of the ship, they give up on the sail, the tackling are these pulleys, and they're huge blocks. They're heavy blocks with iron pulleys and wooden pulleys inside, and they just give up on all this very expensive equipment. It cost a fortune for this rig, we call it rigging, that they would use for managing the sails. They got one sail left they're going to hold on to, but the rest of them, they're throwing away their very chance of being able to make speed and, and travel all the way to Rome. What are they trying to do? Just survive. The ship is sinking. They're throwing everything off the ship. Uh, verse 18, and, uh, I'm sorry, and they straight sailed and so were driven. Verse 18, and we being exceedingly tossed with the tempest, the next day they lightened the ship. So they got rid of the tackling. Now they're getting rid of the cargo. <laughs> Think of the captain. <clears throat> the captain has he signed somehow some sort of document, a legal document that says if he loses the cargo, he will pay for it. All of a sudden, he's bankrupt now. What, why is he saying dump the cargo? Because their lives are at risk. S people are more important than cargo, would you agree? They're trying to save their lives. And... Uh, um, when they had done all these things, nothing helped. Verse 19, third day they cast out with their own hands the tackling of the ship, and when neither sun nor stars in many a days appeared, no small tempest lay on us. It just kept beating us, and all hope that we should be saved was taken away. That's a serious storm. That's something, and, and it's only gone on three days, and it is becoming too much for them to bear. And what I've seen in my life, you know, and I don't care how saved you are or how godly you are or how much you do for God or how much you don't go do for God. I know, I, I have not known anybody who has not yet gone through or will go through a serious storm like that. You may be young. You may be handsome and pretty and have the money, but there is coming a storm in your life and you better have some way to get through it because Serious storms, when they come, they usually ruin us. They probably they destroy us. And they're meant by the devil to destroy us. They change us. Make sure it's for the better. Now, again, the question is, why would God bring such a deadly storm? I mean, this is the Apostle Paul. He's a good guy. Why do good guys go through bad times? Verse 21 now. But after long abstinence, Paul stood forth in the midst of them and said, Sirs, you should have hearkened unto me. <laughs> I told you so. And not have loosed from Crete and to have gained this harm and loss. Don't you hate it when somebody says, I told you so. But he's waited all this time and he says, Guys, you should have listened to me. We're, uh, we could be back there, but that's all right. No worries. Be of good cheer. <laughs> I exhort you, verse 22, to be of good cheer. That's pretty amazing. Enjoy today. Smile, guys. Be of good cheer, for I believe God. Please circle those words. 
that's what started this turnaround. And it shall be even as it was told me. Howbeit we must be cast upon a certain island. So uh, be of good cheer. Did I jump? Did I skip? Yes, I did. I did see. There be no, I didn't finish 22. Be of good cheer, for there shall be no loss of any man's life among you. But we're going to lose the ship. For there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve, saying, Fear not, Paul. Thou must be brought before Caesar, and lo, God hath given thee all them that sail with thee. Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer, because I believe God is going to be just like he said. So Paul speaks up, and he's, he's happy. He's actually cheerful. He's just as happy. Remember when he stood before Agrippa and with chains on his wrist and chains on his ankles and ragged clothes on his body, and he stood there before Agrippa, and he says, I'm happy to be here. That's an amazing Christian testimony. But you know, the truth is, nothing has changed. It's still pitch black outside. This was not a lightning storm. This is just a storm of piercing, stinging rain. If you, if you went up on deck, the rain would felt like needles, thousands of needles, striking against your skin. The wind and the waves were still fiercely beating against the ship, and the ship was still sinking, and Paul said, smile. <laughs> be of good cheer. How could Paul be so cheerful? Why wasn't he panicking? Well, I'll show you five things. Number one, I, mean, I just had a little picture there, but forget that for a second. Paul trusted the presence of God. What does he say? He says, there stood by me. I was reminded there was a force, a power, a presence of somebody there who is bigger than the storm. See, for the past 10 years, as we followed the life of Paul since Acts chapter 9, Jesus has never left him, has he? Jesus had been with Paul from the very day where Jesus said, Hey, Paul. <laughs> Paul says, Is that you, Lord? Yep. You ready to go? We've got some great things to do. And then Jesus says to Ananias, he says, He's going to suffer some great things for me, but don't tell him yet. But he promises, I'll never leave you and never forsake you. When you're in a storm, trust that Jesus cannot abandon you. It's not that he won't. He can't. It's not in his nature. He will always be right by you. And you'll feel alone, but you're not. Paul, number one, trusted that Jesus was with him. Secondly, he knew that Jesus wasn't finished with him. Look in verse 24. Jesus says, fear not, Paul, thou must be brought before Caesar. What? We're still on plan, Paul. I'm going to get you all the way to stand before Caesar. What? Uh, uh, you, you, this is going to go all the way. To, we're not going to die? Cool. No Christian needs, let me just say it this way. No storm can stop the will of God. Can I say it that way? If you want to live as long as possible, get right into the middle of God's will and do his will today and every day. And God will keep you around and he'll do the impossible through whatever storms you go through. You want to you live your life and play with sin and go to the edge? Yeah, we'll have your funeral. But if you want to live for God and stay in the middle of God, God's will, nothing can stop that will. Paul knew God had called him to go and 
talk to the top dog over there in Rome, over to Caesar. And Jesus said, and I'm going to get you there. I, pro I told you that's where we're going, and that's where we're going. And then he knew that God takes care of people who don't deserve it. Look at the end of verse um, 24. And lo, God hath given thee all them that sail with thee. Now, Paul saved. Centurion is kind of like a nice guy. He's been real nice to Paul. But other than that, Jesus says, matter of fact, I'll take care of everyone on that boat. You know what that word is? Grace. Why does God allow people who blaspheme his name and they live such vile, wicked ways and they influence such innocent lives and they even do things that are so blasphemous and abominable? Why does God let them live? Because of grace. God take, took care of you before you were saved. You remember, never forget that. He should have, he, listen, I flipped my car when I was 16 years old, uh, seven, 16. And I shouldn't have walked away from that thing. And I wasn't saved at all. Why would God let me be so stupid and be able to walk away from something like that? It's grace. See, God is kind to people who don't deserve it. Never forget that. Never forget that. The only reason why you got saved is because you finally owned up to the fact, I need his grace. For by grace are you saved, not by works. God is kind. And Jesus reminds Paul, Paul, I'm going to take care of all those people too. Um, he knew that God was in charge of the weather. Paul had not been there, but he heard about another storm. If you take your Bible, go to Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8. There are a couple of times the disciples went through some storms. Three, as a matter of fact, that are recorded in the scriptures. Matthew chapter 8. And every time, what were the, the apostles even, what were they amazed at? That Jesus was in charge of the wind and the waves. Matthew chapter 8, verse 23. When he was entered into a ship, Jesus going into the ship, his disciples followed, and behold, there arose a great, what's the word? Right over the Sea of Galilee, and comes this storm in the sea, and so much that the ship was covered with the waves, and, but was not, but he was back there, what was he doing? Jesus was asleep. Now, either he's negligent and not caring, or he thinks everything's going to be okay. Which one is it? He thinks everything's going to be okay. But, put, but Peter doesn't know that. Verse 25, and his disciples came to him. And I kind of want to read into it. I think they probably kicked him to wake him up. I mean, they're not going to be nice. They're watching the ship go down, down, down. These seasoned uh, fishermen are terrified, and they awoke him, saying, Lord, save us. We perish. And he said unto them, why are you so fearful, O ye of little faith? Then he arose, and he rebuked the winds and the sea. And there was a great calm. But the men marveled, saying, What manner of man is this Jesus guy, that even the winds and the sea obey him? Paul must have really enjoyed going through this storm, going, So this is what it felt like, Lord. <laughs> I'm glad I got to read about that storm, because that will help me in this storm. Did you not ever realize the reason why God wrote these things down is so that you can have something to hold on to in your storm? So remember that Jesus got his disciples through, and you'll read the, re the last of the chapter here. Jesus gets Paul through this storm. 
Folks, Jesus truly is sovereign, Lord of every leaf that falls and every raindrop that splatters. He is Lord. Never forget that. And lastly, he knew that there was a great purpose for this storm. I think, I think uh, Paul's looking forward, looking around at all of those men who are criminals who are from this, from this trip on, when they end up in Rome, they're probably going to be convicted and then either executed or thrown into the deepest, darkest prison where they will never hear the gospel. They'll never have a chance to be saved. They will never have hope. And I think sometimes to get a hardened, hard-headed, stubborn, arrogant, proud man, woman, child saved is it takes a disaster. It takes a breaking down of everything around you to before you finally realize you need God. So Paul believed there's a great purpose for this storm. Maybe all those criminals might just get saved through this thing. Then verse 27. But when the 14th night was come. Now they started off, remember? Then it got three days. They were given up back then. I mean, two weeks is like an eternity. The 14th night would come as we were driven up and down in Adria. I mean, he's like, I'm sure when he wrote that, he got seasick. And about midnight, the shipmen deemed that they were drew near to some country, getting near to some island. So they sounded, which doesn't mean they screamed, right? <laughs> they sounded, which means they let down a, a, a rope with, with weights on it. And they found it 20 fathoms. That's about 120 feet or 36 meters. And that's okay. You got a big ship, 280 people on it. 120 feet depth is a good amount. No rocks could ever strike it, no outcrops or whatever. But, if, but when they had gone a little further, verse 20, uh, uh, gone, they sounded again and it was only 15 fathoms. Rapidly it's moved up to 90 feet deep. So the sea's getting shallower and they realize they're getting close to the shore, verse 29, and fearing lest we should have fallen upon rocks, they cast four anchors out of the stern and they wished for the day. Verse 30, and as the shipmen were about to flee out of the ship, where were they going to go? To that skiff, remember? When the shipmen, the sailors, were about to flee out of the ship, when they had let down the boat, that lifeboat, into the sea under color, they were like, oh, 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 look over there, while they were dropping it down behind them. As though they would cast out anchors out of the foreship, Paul said to the centurion and to the soldiers, except these abide in the ship, ye cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut off all the ropes of the boat and let her fall off. What did they just do? They got rid of the lifeboat. Because that was going to be a temptation to try and escape. But the plan was stay together. Keep going. Verse 33. And while the day was coming on, Paul besought them all to take meat, take some food, saying, This day is the 14th day that ye have tarried and continued fasting. You haven't eaten in this entire time, having taken nothing. Verse 34. Wherefore, I pray you to take some meat. For this is for your health. For there shall not a hair fall from the head of any of you. When he had thus spoken, he took bread. And what did he do? He gave thanks to God in the presence of them all. And when he had broken it, 
he began to eat. And those sailors are watching him. And then, verse 36, were they all a good cheer, and they also took some meat. And they were all in the ship, 200, three score, and 16 what? I love that word. He doesn't say people. doesn't say men. The word is souls. When they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship and cast out the wheat, the bread, into the sea. Now, Paul speaks up again. Storm has lasted 14 days. They have been tossed like, like yo-yos from side to side, up and down. Everyone's seasick. There's been no rest for 14 days. There's been no light for 14 days. It is dark, and they headed for a shoreline. And they stop. They just say, we can't go any further if, in, 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 this, in this storm. If we hit that shore out of control, we'll be smashed, and we will die on the rocks and that was a smart move. Just listen. If the storm's blowing, don't do anything stupid. Just stop for a minute. See if it'll blow over. Stop for a minute. Don't do anything stupid you're going to regret. You ever been so upset? Well, I'm never going to church again. Well, I'm never going to be with that person again. I'm never going to talk to so-and-so again. I'm quitting that job. I'm, I'm not, not shopping there anymore. You ever said stupid stuff like that? You do stuff like that because you're hurting. Man, just anchor and wait. The storm is going to blow over. You got to make a plan. That's when Paul speaks up again. And I like how verse 30, he, he says, they got to stay in that ship. Um, we got to stay in this ship. We got to stay together. And I wish you knew how important it is for us as a church to just stay together. Because there's one thing the devil loves to do is to break us apart. I mean, the world tries to make their own unity when we've got unity. And it takes a humble people to say, I gotta love the brethren. I've got to stay here. I gotta keep the course. And Paul says, Hey, trust me, we need to stay together. We need to stay the course. We need to see this storm all the way through. We got in this storm together, and we gotta stay through to the end together. I don't care. You can apply that to your marriage. You can apply that to your best friend, your worship. Man, when the storm comes, stay to the end. We need to eat. Haven't you ever said that to somebody who just gets so despondent and so down and they just don't want to eat? And you come along and says, it's for your health. You need to eat. You need to have something to eat. You know, it's okay to fast. Matter of fact, it's very good for you to go without food sometimes. Stress may bring on you just don't want to eat. Good. But after two weeks, guess what it is? Time to eat. Time to have some, some nourishment. It's very hard to eat when you're stressed and anxious and worried. Paul's trying to give them some hope. Why don't you rest in the care of the God of heaven? And then he says we need to be thankful. I think that's the, most, the best verse here, verse 35. When he had thus spoken, he says, let's eat. He then took some bread and he gave thanks to God. What an awful thing that Christian men don't thank God in their homes. Gentlemen, if you're, if you're saved and if you've got a family looking at you, before you sit down and you dig into that chicken or dig into that, that lasagna, Stop everybody and say, we need to be, thank we need to be thankful. If you're, if you're just so rushed to just get everybody finished with dinner and be back to the game or be back to the Netflix or whatever, shame on you. In the middle of the storm, 
you need to have had a habit where you are thankful for everything. Because that's one of the ways through the storm is just being thankful for the little things. I mean, a bit of light, a bit of food, a bit of company. I mean, Paul, I don't know, he probably spent in that prayer 10 minutes thanking God for those men and for the centurion and for the ship not sinking yet and then for God bringing them this far and that he's trusting God, you're going to take us all the way, all the way to the shore. He was thankful. And look at the effect, verse 36. Then they were all of good cheer. One man's joy can affect a whole ship full of criminals. Wouldn't it be awesome? Gavin, if you and I are, I'll take Weston because he could probably speak better than you and me together. We'll go down to court jail and they let us in and sit down there and they're having dinner there. And we just say, guys, I want to tell you, God's good. And they all start laughing and everything. And we just say, guys, I just want to thank God. We begin to thank God for our families and thank God that we should be in jail. I mean, if listen, we're no better than them and we start to praise God. I wonder how many we might affect and give them some hope and just say, guys, God's good. You may have gotten yourself into a mess here, but God will get you through it. Isn't that amazing? Look at the effect. It brought cheer to those men. And they took some meat. And as you notice, it says there were 200, three score and 16 souls is 276 souls. You ever, uh, I can just imagine that ship having a revival. I think those men were wondering, which God does he worship? His name is Jesus. Well, I'm worshiping him from now on. That ship had revival. That ship was a ship like Paul's prison experience in Philippi where nobody wanted to run away when the doors sprung open. Paul knew how to pray and Paul knew how to sing and how to give the gospel out. So grown men sat there and says, tell me some more. Have you ever seen this sign somewhere? You know what those letters stand for? Save our souls. You know where those come from? That's a Navy phrase. Comes from your Bible. There's a lot in our past that comes from the Bible. Doesn't say, save our bodies. No, we're in danger of dying and we're afraid of what happens next. Save our souls. You know what they were? They were saved by grace. Look in verse 39. And when it was day, they knew not the land. They had no idea where they were. <laughs> if they had drawn on the map, their course, it would have looked like a child scribbling all different directions across the Mediterranean. When it was day, they knew not the land where they were, but they discovered a certain creek with a shore into which they were minded. Somebody had the crazy idea that if it were possible, they could thrust the ship into that river head. And when they had taken up the anchors, they committed themselves unto the sea, and they loosed the rudder bands, allowing the rudder now to, at the hands of the steering helm and they hoist up the main sail so they kept one sail to the wind and they made toward shore i mean they, they probably just whew, at high speed 15 20 knots running straight into that shore and they made toward the shore verse 41 and falling into a place where two seas met they ran the ship aground and the fore part the head the front of it stuck fast and remained unmovable, but the hinder part, the back part, 
was broken with the violence of the waves. That's how strong the waves were. The ship, when it hit that sand and into that, that river coming into the ocean, the back part ripped right off. That's how serious that storm was, broken with the violence of the waves. And the soldiers' council <laughs> was to kill all the prisoners, lest any of them should swim out and escape. Now, that's kind of interesting. Uh, they had no idea where they were. Somebody decided, yeah, let's just slam ourselves into the shore. Let's at least guide ourselves because if we go to where the river is, there's a lot of sand going down into the water, and that's the safest place to drive that boat in. Maybe we'll survive and be able to get off the ship and get to shore. And then they did it. <laughs> I mean, it's like, what? You're going to throw this ship into the coast right up that sandbar and hope to survive. Yep. They're going to purposely destroy the ship. And they did it. Imagine those men when they rammed it up into that sand and they survived for a few seconds. They all shouted, Woo, we're saved. Why'd they do it? Why'd they, why'd they get rid of all of the cargo, all the tackling? They got rid of the food. Now they've got rid of the ship. They got rid of the lifeboat. Why? Because one man's life is worth everything. And when it push comes to shove, your life is worth saving. You really will try to save your own skin. I had one person I was giving the gospel to that says, that sounds very selfish to want to be saved. And I said, yeah, <laughs> I don't want to go to hell. Why would you think that's wrong? Obviously, there is a selfish motive that says, I want to live. That's called motivation. Amen. They ran that ship aground. And then somebody yelled, every man for the shore. Verse uh, 42, in this, this, but the soldiers' council was to kill everybody. I forgot to say this. This is kind of cute. Um, the soldiers were supposed to kill all of the, uh, the criminals. Because can you imagine 276 murderers, criminals, who are going to Italy. They're, they're not there because they shoplifted. 276 now going into some city. Can you imagine? And it's on a Roman ship run by a Roman centurion. And he lets all those, those criminals go. And they wreak havoc in some town somewhere. No, the soldier says, you want us to kill them now before we all jump off? And um, listen to this. Verse 42. And the soldier's council was to kill the prisoners, lest any of them should swim out and escape. But the centurion willing to save one man, willing to save Paul, kept them from their purpose. And they commanded that they which could swim should cast themselves first into the sea and get to land. I imagine, I'm just reading into it for just a moment. I imagine that Roman soldier, that Roman centurion, watching all those men getting on their knees in the middle of that hold in that boat and bowing their head as Paul prayed. And then they start smiling and having cheer and they start sharing food he says these are not criminals these are souls and he has compassion on them and he says okay every man make it to the shore in verse verse 44 is the last verse here everyone was safe verse 44 and the rest some on boards some on broken pieces of the ship and so it came to pass look at the promise fulfilled that they escaped all safe to land that was a miracle that's a miracle you want a miracle in your life 
Don't be afraid of the storm. Don't be upset that you're going through a storm. You want a miracle is that you live through it. And that whatever God has to do to get you through it, it's going to be awesome. And you're going you're gonna to struggle. You're going to panic. You're going to cry and, and want to just give up. But if you, were, if you would just take a chapter like this and go, all right, next time I go through a storm, let me remember, God, you're with me. And it's going to be awesome when we get through this. Because listen, folks, even for a Christian, death is not the end, is it? <laughs> the moment you fall asleep on this earth, to be absent from the body is to be present with who? I tell you what, you won't look back and go, well, that wasn't worth it. No, no, no. Everyone is safe. The next time you get into a storm, remember these things. Remember who's in charge. One of the things that we don't like, Emmanuel, is losing control. We don't like not being in, in, in control. When we're not in charge, we get panicky. Don't ignore the preacher. Make sure you're not ignoring and rejecting the warnings of a Bible preacher. Sometimes a preacher gets up here and he's telling you, not only from experience, but mainly from the scriptures, don't do that. I mean, you say, man, it's nothing but rules. It's not rules. You never hear rules from me. You know what you hear? Warnings. There's some things you ought to be aware of that are dangerous to you, to your children. And, and, and we're not, as Christians, we're not taking the warning seriously. Paul knew exactly what was coming. And he says, guys, I don't think you should do this. And they went, ah, it's just an old preacher. Sometimes this old preacher knows some things you don't. Not because I'm just super smart, but because I've read the chapters. And I'm no spring chicken. I've been around the block a couple of dozen times. I can speak from experience. Next time you get in that storm, you let me know. You say, Pastor, I'm going through a storm. You'll know one thing. Nita and I are going to be praying for you. And I'm going to get some other people praying for you. We'll pray you through that thing. Just the last thing you need to do is say, don't need the preacher. Don't need to be in church. I don't need preaching. I'm just going to sit and get angry at home. That's stupid. Walk with God. Talk to him when you can't talk to anybody else. Paul's talking to Jesus the entire time. You can do that, amen. Listen to him. Be the, be the one who trusts God. I'll talk about that in just a second. Let me, let me keep going here. Uh, be faithful. What if Paul, when he was put on that ship and that storm came, if Paul gave up and says, I didn't sign up for this kind of storm. I, 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 we're going to die. What if he stopped being a Christian and stopped being a witness on that boat? Stay faithful, even though you're going through a storm. If I see you going through a storm... <laughs> It may be you going through that and you being faithful. I'm looking at you, Hoshim. It may be to encourage me how to get through it myself. There are people in this room who have gone through the storms, and I've watched them, and I've watched them to learn from them and how to get through it because I need them. And when it's my time that I'm going through a storm, my goal is to stay just as faithful as they were. You just be faithful. You be consistent. It, 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 the, the weather may change, the sun may not rise, the, the money may not come in, the car won't start, but you stay faithful because somebody's probably watching you and needing you to be faithful. And remember the promises of God. You know what that book is full of? Promises, man. I'll never leave you or forsake you. 
My strength is made perfect in your weakness. That's what Jesus said. There's, there's 800 promises for the Christian in there, I understand. I have not counted them all. I, I think I found them all. I just want to plug them in every time I need them. Remember the promises of God. And then be the one who trusts God. I don't care. You say, well, man, pastor, are you giving up? Weston, are you giving up? Gavin, are you giving up? I'm not giving up. You be the one that trusts God, amen? Because that entire ship was filled with people who wanted to die. And Paul says, let's trust God. And give thanks. Probably, I think, the turning point, at least with, it was with, with Job, and it seems to be with everybody in the, in, the old, in, in, the, in the Bible, whenever there was incredible pressure, even Jesus, when he was going to the cross, you know what Jesus did? He gave thanks, didn't he? Wow. So if you want to turn the situation around so that there's a bit of joy, a bit of hope in there, just start thanking God. And remember that God takes care of people who don't deserve it. <laughs> See, what we do is we get angry and say, God, why are you doing this to me? Why are, you, why are you making me go through this storm? That's not how you think. you got to start saying, God, you're being very gracious to me. Where I'm at, you know, and I'm not going to complain. I'm just going to trust you because you take care of people who don't deserve it. And that means you'll take care of me. Before we sing, would you bow your heads and pray? We're going to stand in just a moment, but not yet. Every head bowed and every eye closed. That phrase, SOS, it's universal. Doesn't matter what language, what country, what time of the year, SOS, universal, emergency. Somebody's in distress. Somebody's at the brink of death. Somebody is in trouble, and we've got to do something. Well, that's your call sign. That's, what, that's all you've got to do is to cry out to the one name that can do something about whatever you're going through, wherever you are, and say, save my soul. Because that's what Jesus came to do. Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. Will you let him save you? It's an awesome, awesome, awesome thing to just finally say, Lord, you win. I'll trust you. If Paul can trust you through that storm, if those men can trust you through that storm, if Christianity is like this, then that's what I want. And that's what I want to be like. And Jesus Christ will save your soul. And I tell you what, you may, your path may go through some valleys and storms, but you won't mind because you'll be saved. Are you saved? And dear Christian, are you faithful? When a storm comes up, do you quit? Do you jump? Do you back off? Do you go disappearing? That's not what you were saved to do. Somebody else needs you to stay faithful. Somebody needs you to remind them to cheer up in Christ, to rejoice in who he is. Paul writes that in Philippians, rejoice in the Lord always. Father, I ask that you would just help us never forget this chapter encourage your people today to make a decision, God, that we're going to, we, we go into storms and we're going to stay true all the way to the end. And no matter how many storms we might go through, we're going to know that you're with us and that you'll be enough. And there'll always be a miracle getting us through. So bless us, God, as we just
ponder these things now. And then we make a decision for somebody to get saved and for all the rest of us to stay faithful. In Jesus' name, amen.